This is the Epilogue audio experience. I think as creative people, we've all become business owners by default. We never planned it. It's just that life took us in a way where we became business owners, entrepreneurs. So I think it's very important to figure out the business portion of it. You know, weddings are all about creating personalized, unique experiences. Now, an unparalleled location in someone's life requires an astute eye for detail in making that occasion super special. And when we talk about celebrity luxury weddings, stakes rise further higher. My guest today on Jamsters is one of India's foremost wedding designers, Devika Narayan. Thank you for joining me on Jamsters. Such a pleasure to finally have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me here. Devika, you are a wedding designer. In India, we understand wedding planner. We understand event management. Now, please help us understand. <laughs> please help us understand what is a wedding designer and how is that different from a wedding planner? I have to tell you a story. At one point, I was so sick of people asking me. I actually made an Excel sheet to send to people saying this is what a planner <laughs> does. This is what a designer does because I was sick of explaining <laughs> to clients saying, what do you do? Uh, so basically, a wedding designer is in charge of taking care of the aesthetics, how a place looks, the decor, the ambience, the experience. And a wedding planner takes care of all the what I call dirty logistics, uh, mm-hmm. the hospitality, transport, guest bags, artist management, those kind of things. Um, in very simple words, I am the person who makes a wedding look beautiful. And a wedding planner is the person who makes sure that everything runs according to a schedule at a wedding. So you are like the cake decorator and not the cake maker. Actually, I'm the cake maker and the decorator. I'm not the person who is delivering the cake. So it's the logistics that we don't do. So when a client has that understanding and, and I'm talking more from the broader sense of an Indian market and you have a particularly discerning set of clientele who understands the nuances of a wedding designer and a wedding planner. When a client comes in and talks to you, do they already have a perspective on this is what your scope of work is? I think it varies from client to client. A lot of brides who followed me for a long time know exactly what I do. Uh, They know what I had for breakfast, you know, where my last holiday was. But there is a certain amount of people who also come across who want to understand. The thing is, we mostly assume that our clients know everything in a wedding, right? But for a lot of people, it's the first wedding in the family. They still tend to understand how things work. Uh, So I think it's, it's both sides of the equation. And Kuchko, I mean, like I said, Excel sheet, BHK, we have to teach them. I mean, I have to like educate them on what we do. So how does it then, then pitching a client and your services, has there any effort been in terms of outreach for you in terms of building a brand name, your clientele, your portfolio of work for you? I think I've been extremely, extremely fortunate and I'm touching wood right now as I say this, that we've very rarely had to pitch for a wedding. We've been very lucky that we've there is a community of people out there who loves our work, who reaches out to us, um, who gives us the creative freedom to do what we want to do. Um, and I think a large part of our business is entirely word of mouth. Uh, so many times we meet somebody who isn't able to hire us for their wedding, but when her best friend gets married, she's like, listen, you must hire her. So, so mm. many of those projects come just because someone's been to a wedding that we've done or someone who couldn't hire us for whatever reason uh, their friends or their cousins are getting married and they're like you know we must hire you for that there are so many times brides reach out to us for a wedding and they don't even have a groom in mind they're like (laughs) whenever I get married you will do my wedding Wow. they have no clue we have proper inquiries with like details of how they want the functions to be how they want what they want to wear what they want to look like what they want 
things to look like who they want at the wedding and there's never you know, a date or a group name and that form is left blank when you ask them like <laughs> we don't know but we're sending our details to you when we find one you know this is what we want that's amazing that's a very good problem to have by the way <laughs> i'm not complaining it's really fun because i think when you discover that there is a community of people who love you and what you do it is very encouraging as a creative business you keep thinking you're lonely but to find like a little uh, this little group of people out there in the world who love what you do is very very fun so little group of people who are rich right who can afford your services i think it's on all spectrums um i wouldn't say just rich a lot of them are because of the kind of work we do um but some of their weddings are regular weddings also when you talk about regular weddings I like how you just uh, paused at that sentence yeah because that doesn't really sort of resonate with the kind <laughs> of work that we've seen the decadent taste that you have the eclectic work that you've put out on social media um it generally doesn't resonate a vibe purely because the aesthetics of your wedding are so gorgeous um uh, it is by default understood that the budgets of the event that you take up will be pretty steep i'm not going to say they're not i'm not going to say they're cheap um but i have a very simple belief that a place can look beautiful in 50 rupees also and in 500 rupees also and it is up to us to see how we make that space beautiful so very often uh we do entire setups using just our humble marigold and that to me is the greatest charm of what we do and what we pride ourselves in it's not about how much you're spending we help you to figure out how to use the money you want to spend does that make sense Mhm mhm so when a client would come and speak with you um at what point are you able to convince them or explain to them that your work is about aesthetics it's about the setup the logistics of this will be handled by someone else right at the beginning that is literally the first conversation we have that this is what we do this is what we don't do and you'll agree with me it's very uh as a entrepreneur as a business it's very important to set expectations right at the very beginning to mm. avoid any sort of conflict later correct so it's For important sure. in the first meeting i tell them this is what i do this is my style if you want me to build a 60 foot stage i can't my brain can't comprehend a 60 foot stage so i can't do it i it's not that i can't do planning i don't enjoy doing planning and it reflects mm. when i plan a wedding right so i think it's just about being honest about what you can and can't do which is what helps you love what you do as well i only do work i enjoy doing which is why i love what i do no that makes a lot of sense because i think you attract the kind of people with the clarity that you operate i think that's that's just a basic understanding that i have about business um the more clear Correct. your thoughts are the better it is for the opposite person to understand when should they intervene with you right absolutely and especially in your case when or let's say the wedding business which is generally having a lot of moving parts um a lot of expectations a uh, lot of emotions running high um i'm curious to know you are dealing in particularly aesthetics and that is of extreme value in probably i think any wedding globally the looks and the feel and the appeal of the wedding how guests will feel uh, what is your typical flow of a conversation with the guest how would you recommend what do you recommend to guests uh, to be able to buy into the concept that either you are pitching or the client already has an idea on 
So I think very amusingly, the first meeting we ever have, we don't have any thoughts in our mind. We literally go with an empty slate to understand the people we're working with. And our first meeting is a lot of questions. I ask a painful amount of questions of what they want, what their versions are. And it's not just about asking brides and grooms because weddings in India are about families as well, right? So just getting to know the people you're working with, what their expectations are. And you'll agree with me, Hardik, every family is different. So every For family sure. has a different version of what they want at their wedding. So I think the first conversation is just getting to know them. I call it speed dating, by the way. I was like, I have come <laughs> to speed date the entire family in one go to see <laughs> what your expectations are. And then once we come back, we sit on it and build on it conceptually. And the coolest things come out of those conversations. Um, for example, this this lovely girl we got married her dad is from rajasthan her she's marrying a french boy her mother is from uh, nagaland and we actually merged all the four three folk and she's lived her entire life in singapore we merged mm. all the cultures for her wedding and it was so so special because there was a bit of her entire heritage and those are questions that never come across right um for this other wedding the groom actually owns Pest Control India. So mm -hmm. the first conversation I had with me, he spent half an hour talking to me about insects and good insects and bad insects. And he was so obsessed with them. He has these miniatures all over his house and things like that. We actually designed his entire wedding around insects. Now, if I was to tell you that we designed an insect theme, if I was to tell you we designed an insect theme wedding, you'd think I'm completely bonkers, no? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, who does a wedding that, yeah. with like bees and dragonflies? Yeah, I mean, everybody would, so would I. But the fact is, it was so relevant to the people getting married and the friends had so much fun. The family walked in and said, oh my God, this is so much like them. And it's it's those things. These aren't themes. You can't like make some of this stuff up, right? Someone has to care about something enough. Oh, for sure. To, for, for it sure. to become a part of their wedding. So I think for us, our first conversations are literally just getting to know you and then seeing what we can find from our conversations to build into concepts, themes, aesthetics, whatever word you want to use on the other side of it. But then, you know, there are varying timelines, right? Like someone would call you a year in advance and someone would call you probably like a month in advance. Um, do you still Correct. have the same process to follow? So... Um, we take about four to six months to design a wedding and we don't do anything for for a lesser timeline. Like three months mm -hmm. is the bare minimum we can work off because the fact is I only do about 10 weddings a year. And mm -hmm. each wedding takes a lot of time to design. For sure. And for, for me, sure. it's all about the details. So we're literally sitting on a plan again and again to see what we can change, what we can alter, what we can add. So... Uh, I think three months is a good timeline that we have to work with. So it's very rare to have a one month and then trying to figure yourself around it. So three months is about like 90 days and 90 days may you are not only getting to know the family, you are also understanding the theme, what you want to give an inputs for. And I understand that you're very heavy on local craftsmanship, local artisans. Um, and when you actually go Correct. down to that city or a country, I'm curious to know more about that. Uh, I was going to tell you it's the quickest relationship ever. Because you have to like, it's like an arranged marriage. You have to like get to know the other person really quickly so that you can begin your relationship together sort of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But yes, I love the idea of working with local art and craft. 
um i grew up in lucknow and which is very strong on the idea of a karigar i sure. i remember growing up the karigars would come home they would show my mother chicken curry sarees we would go to the centers we would do chapai together so i've always it's always always been a part of my existence and nothing that like for me it's not been a conscious decision to go work with them they are a part of my world a part of the culture i grew up in so it's just sort of um it's almost it comes unconsciously to go to a space and see what is your local craft what is the local businesses what do you make here which is cool and i think that has led us to find some really cool uh cool sort of design ideas and concepts for example we went to dhaka and we were just walking around an art college over there and it was a bengali new year and we saw them making these large cane elephants as part of the parade and mm-hmm. you know normally when you see any design of an elephant they're usually usually like fat and blobby and things no here they had really sexy legs and i was mm. i just stood there for like 5 minutes and i was like how are their legs so curvy and sexy <laughs> and i was like i have to use this as part of my design and it's so funny because that like that small sort of obsession with a with an elephant design led us to create an entire wedding inspired by the sundarbans in the forest so it's about stumbling on these a bunch of really bizarre things that we found and discovered and sort of worked with or uh, we were driving to uh, bishankar where we were doing a wedding and it was that time of the year when they were growing bajra over there and it looked mm-hmm. so beautiful in the fields i by the way asked the farmer there in the hotel later if he could use those flowers and they said yes we can grow the bajra and the uh, kashful for you and you can use it and we ended up using it for the wedding which felt so unique uh, while when the western world was using pampas we were using the indian equivalent of it which was mm-hmm. much cheaper much easily available just because we had found it so i think it makes our work so much more exciting because you get to a meet very cool people Absolutely. and be really inspired by what they make and you will agree that india has a very strong culture uh everything mm. is made here everything is cool here i think it's just about tapping in and seeing how you can reuse something you've seen all your life you know that makes a lot of sense because i think what you're telling me is that you're very heavy on collaborating and and being open to ideas open to connecting with people and these are people that you've met for the very first time in your life uh maybe travel to mm. cities and countries that you've never been to earlier i'm i'm just still wondering where do you source these people from do you have like a reference check um do you go through a trusted verified network is it just cold calling how do you source these people i think it's a mix of all of those things uh sometimes it's a reference things finding people in the same city finding one vendor through maybe instagram and then asking him for other references just driving around till you stumble on something really cool um it's just a whole network of like things that you sort of add on um and i think for me it's very important to be able to trust the person i'm working with um and it's so funny cuz i have a little sentence which says i have to like your face if you don't like <laughs> your face and i don't mean a physical face i mean the persona of a person <laughs> don't <laughs> hire me and if i don't like you i won't work with you because i think all of our relationships are based on trust and for me it's extremely important to have a person i can trust and a first meeting tells you so much about the other person do you also Correct. believe that the first meetings can be um surface level conversations and not very deep conversations or are you able to sort of decipher very clearly in the first go that i like him or her in the first meeting no sometimes it takes a second meeting for sure uh and i think the second meeting luckily for me because uh it is a professional relationship uh, for me is about sampling about seeing what the other person can make about sending a design and say will you make a small piece for me and show me um i like to leave nothing to chance 
I want to be very sure of what is coming to sight, what what is it that I'm finally ordering. If it means putting in some money and making sure you see a sample earlier, or just sending a photo of what the other person has done, going to their office, going to their warehouse, those are all just checkpoints to like check on the other person and seeing if you can work together and if you're both talking about the same thing. So then, with all these calls and meetings, are you like personally involved, or do you have like a delegated team to handle uh, these calls or meetings? I am involved. For a lot of these meetings, I also have an incredible, incredible team who helps me out. Uh, and in fact, for a lot of things today, they take the front lead. Uh, I have a small but a very cool team of young people. They're architects, interior designers. Um, they've come from like all. Honestly, none of them have an event, have an uh, background experience in weddings, which is why they all bring really cool perspectives. Interesting. So, mm. uh, what we bring is a lot of interesting perspectives to what we do. So just because you are seeing a marigold sita doesn't mean I mean they will see it ulta teda right left right hmm. so it's 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 a bunch of people who all collaborate together and we're also collaborating with the families we're we're getting married right mm-hmm. so many times the bride's father will have a contact or the bride will be like listen I'll take over this or can I come to the pool mandi with you and she'll find something interesting over there I think you know they say it takes a village to like make a child or raise a child it also takes a village to have a wedding uh, mm, and i love sure. that each wedding is such a huge collaboration between everybody who's working from the carpenter on site to the caterer to the family to the venue getting married in to the artist who's performing because i think it's almost like a little play where every they like bits of a jigsaw puzzle which all come together i'm very uh, intrigued when you mentioned that you've got uh, architects and interior designers in a wedding business um and especially when it comes to aesthetics at your discerning clientele's wedding um are you looking at multidisciplinary knowledge and not only event management knowledge or event knowledge per se absolutely because i see myself as somebody who designs spaces full stop now it so could be a wedding is, it wedding could be medium to use that is it correct and it could be an installation i hope someday i can design cities uh, the idea is that i use weddings as a place to have conversations about things that matter to me uh, it is just like you said exactly like you said a medium for me but that medium could change for me tomorrow it it is already changing for me today um and i think that's one of the cool things about what we do is that when you think of yourself as a space designer then there's no differentiation of between a wedding expert or a interior designer or an architect because at the end of the day you're designing a space hmm hmm that's that's um that's a particularly very unique uh, viewpoint and and i sort of echo with that a little bit because i'm a civil engineer myself and when uh, okay. we talk about spaces when we understand big spaces we do want to understand aesthetics we do want to get the technicalities right and necessarily it's not the job of a event manager per se to be able to foresee that it's someone who understands spaces well and not really someone who understands right. events well correct because because you're a civil engineer you will understand how a height of a stage will make a difference or a simple mm-hmm. change in a layout will make a difference of how people feel in a space when you walk in and see food your focus is on the food and not on the mandap correct mm-hmm. or when a stage mm-hmm. is too high it it makes you feel whether you're comfortable in that setting or you want to dance if it's a very high stage it feels like a concert if it's a low stage it feels more approachable and those are things you understand from a space perspective which are all very relevant to the way guests feel at a wedding agar mm-hmm. aapne mandap 
if you've made a mandap 30 feet away then guests will feel distanced right if the mandap is closed they will feel like a part of the ceremony now these are not managerial things this is how you see and view space oh for sure and how you see how guests experience a space because you do a wedding for the people right mhm so i think it's those thoughts that only a spatial designer can bring into the equation and i'm so Lovely. happy you understand what i'm saying because of your insight of a civil of a civil space right when you design a flyover or you design a city that's the things you think of is how will people use something yeah i mean for sure because because i have to interject because there is one of the things one of the things that often uh, you know comes across is when you let's say design a city or a road is that how is it approachable you understand the flow of a certain space even when you enter the building first is the lobby then the elevator then you move up blah 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 there is a step by step process to this right you understand the spaces you understand how big it is whether there's direct lighting uh, i think that analogy would also work here when let's say you want to use natural lighting a lot more you'll go to open spaces you'll use day lighting more vis-a-vis do it in the night or, or when you have like ample amount of artificial lighting um i think i think you, you, i think there is so you've much analogy you've cracked it you really have cracked it <laughs> okay you've cracked it and i'm so thrilled that you get what we do because this is what we do mhm mhm you know eclectic taste and decadent taste developing takes a lot of time um and and especially when you're talking about spaces I, i'm i'm really like uh, surprise at from what the conversation was in terms of wedding and we've talking about spaces now it's really exciting this is the beauty of being on a podcast right i think when you go deep dive into a certain perspective uh, the world is the oyster and you can sort of take it in a direction whichever you want to uh, building eclectic tastes uh, is obviously a long term process uh, money cannot give you taste right either you understand things about life either you have a nuanced perspective on things and that could be many things i'm curious to know how did you develop your tastes in making it as decadent as eclectic as it is today what are influences rather i should say i don't think there's one straight answer to it because it has evolved so much mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. i think early influences were my family my dad loves gardening my mother my grandmother uh, my mother and my grandmother have a sari from every state of india as part of their wardrobe uh, they're obsessed with handicraft before indoor plants was a thing my mother used to have plants inside the house um i was raised by a bunch of really cool women who did all kinds of things and had their own businesses so i think in terms of early influences that was definitely it um the other sort of seminal moment for me has been that i was very fortunate to work with a company that exposed me to a lot of international work and a lot of things mm-hmm. happened when i was exposed a when you see things which are of better quality you were able to raise your own bar and mm-hmm. b it made me acutely aware of how beautiful india is and what india has to offer because a sort of reverse became for me i remember when i started working pinterest had just come to india Mm-hmm. and there was this obsession with western style weddings everybody was wearing ball gowns and wanted bird cages and pearls at their wedding and i remember sitting one day and thinking that i want to make the kind of weddings that become the front page of pinterest and mm-hmm. that has been my intention to make things that are unique to make things that are cool and to make things that are intrinsically indian so i think it has a lot to do with finding local people finding people whose work is cool there are so many cool people in our country that are doing such great work in all kinds of sort of spectrums and just using them as inspirations today a very strong sort of influence is my team as well um who mm-hmm. all come from different perspectives and are able to build bring very unique points to a to the table 
so i think it's a learning process of saying this is cool this is this can be built on um the first time you try an idea you try it on a smaller scale then you get some courage you try it on a bigger scale i think it's a constant sort of learning and experimenting that you're doing with your own skill and craft and your own perspective Uh, what about let's say traveling um what about let's say food what about fashion sense because i think these also are very very important parts of uh developing my a sense of taste sense is zero so i'm not going to answer that portion because i'm happy to mm-hmm. live in my pajamas or maybe books as well uh, <laughs> okay so travel yes because it opens up your mind but i've always believed that the most beautiful things are around you and you have to look in your vicinity as well you know it's become cool to say that travel is an influence but i think with travel just the books around me just the world around me just the spaces around me are a huge sense of influence as well for me a walk down a local market or a local flower mandi is as exciting and as sort of rewarding as a walk down a, a street in paris um and i think it's about finding it's about training your eye to find things that are unique and over a course of time we've been able to do that for ourselves to see how can we train our mind ki if you're in a new city what are the things you should be looking out for uh, what are the things that feel cool to you what is a local craft that you stumble on um just practicing and teaching yourself to go to local markets go to local craft meets go to like artisans who work on the sides of the roads just like meeting and engaging with people around you who are doing cool things I'm trying to also think about what is it that probably defines you in in ways that the regular wedding designer would not. So I understand you have a big fascination for spaces because that's what you do. Um what are other things that you associate with in terms of your personality? I'll tell you what I don't associate with is trends. For me there is no trend at a wedding. Because okay. to me your wedding is so special and so specific to you. Hard to give. You're getting married tomorrow. Your wedding is going to made custom to you, not custom to the times you're living in or the current prevalent fashions. Which means that your wedding suddenly becomes almost eternal. No matter when you get married, if I design a wedding for you and let's say your girlfriend today, even if mm. you get married after two years, three years, your wedding will still be special to you because it's made of the things that you love. it's made of your memories your histories your personalities we're not following some random trend so you look at something and say ye to i mean this has been done a lot we want something else mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i think that is the one thing that truly sets our work apart is because we're doing custom sort of it's like if someone made a suit for you it wouldn't fit somebody else the same way right mm-hmm. if they made mm-hmm. it to a fabric and a color you love it's almost like that you're tailor making an experience for somebody uh it's not just a random trend you find i'm not thinking about wowing my guests i'm thinking about how my guests are going to feel what are they going to look at what will they enjoy so i think it's a combination of these two elements that sets our work apart so then what what difference do you see uh, an experience when you're dealing with um celebrity luxury weddings what's the difference then do you foresee there honestly no for me all my clients are celebrities every one of them Mm-hmm. I look at all of them as if they were Anushka and Virat. Uh they're all equally special. We put in the same amount of effort for all of their weddings. Uh there is no difference and I think that is why a lot of people walk up to us also because they like not just our work but also the way we work and the sort of values we have in our work. They want they resonate with those values. Um and I think that's why people come to work with us. 
and when uh, you're dealing with let's say mentioned uh, Virat Kohli and Anushka as well um i'm curious to know what is it that you can share about the wedding and i understand you have nda signed with them you're not allowed to share a lot of details but what is your experience working on designing a wedding like that i think more than the nda it is the idea that they are private people and they like to keep their wedding private and i completely get it because i am like that as well um so i think we'll leave that conversation there uh but the idea is just and, and i would like to respect everyone's privacy uh the idea simply is that i think everyone today wants to make a wedding that is special for them and their guests uh and that is the forefront of everything we do is that all our weddings are equally private all our weddings are equally personal for us every bride and groom is equally important and we put the same amount of heart and effort to each one's weddings and at the end of it we end up becoming friends with most of the people we work with because we enjoy the process of designing as much as the final product itself do you also partner or intervene let's say an event agency of uh, a massive scale would uh, would they come to you and and ask for collaborating work with you because you're specifically designing in spaces or directly only the client will uh, come to you once week no okay. i think it happens both ways the only sort of flip side is because we only do 10 weddings a year is just a matter of who got to us first Oh, because we never okay. do two weddings on the same date, uh, and we only do ten projects a year, so it's literally like a little. I mean, it's a first come first serve basis. That's the only way to keep my own sanity. <laughs> yeah, I was about to get that because it can get pretty crazy when you're when you're handling like back to back weddings and so many things running in the mind and going to local cities, sourcing talent and art crafts and arts and stuff like that. Um, especially when you're talking about let's say the number that you've zeroed down to is 10 is that is that by design that you do not want to scale and do more i think my eventual goal in life is to do one wedding a year or two weddings a year um i'm a bit odd because you know everybody wants to scale up i want to scale down because i want to make sure i'm giving my heart and soul to that one or two weddings i do a year so i think 10 is a number we can handle by giving everybody equal amounts of attention but we hope that in the future we are scaling down and creating just like one or two or three or four but making sure that every wedding we create is extremely unique now you have a formidable partner in joseph and uh, how is it that you complement each other support each other with work i think it's odd because we both run our separate companies um <laughs> and at home we're just i think friends who are each other sounding boards that's about it uh as you would have in any other relationship because we rarely i mean it's not rarely but i mean it's not too often that we get to work together when his work starts mine ends and when mine starts again his work is ending so there's very few overlaps but i think it's great to have a partner you can trust to have as a solid sounding board um so even if he wasn't a wedding photographer i think i'd still have it in him so you you have like similar design sensibilities that way No, we're complete opposites. He likes everything new. I like everything old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So how do you reconcile <laughs> so that then? That is or, or do you maybe reconcile that? If if at all that there is a question about that. Uh, I think we do. We've learned. I think a good relationship is one where you can compromise and find like midpoints where you you're able to sort of reason with the other and find midpoints. Uh, mm-hmm. but if you were to come to a house. you notice some rooms look radically different from the other rooms because <laughs> uh, this is like my aesthetic versus his aesthetic um mm. but i think we 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 have a great working relationships and working relationship and tremendous respect for each other's viewpoint and aesthetic and i think it shows in everything we do together whether it is just being a part of our home or our life that we lead 
Well, that's lovely. I think I think uh, it's it's always interesting to have a different perspective, especially when you're a creative professional, because we tend to live in a world where we want to confirm our biases. We want to confirm that what we're doing is right. But when someone challenges you creatively, it's a whole different high altogether. Correct. And also, I think it'd be so boring to have a partner or a best friend living with you who agrees with you on everything. I think it's so interesting, like you said, to have the other perspective, to have a little bit of that friction where you want to hear the other person's viewpoint and still come to an amicable solution. And I think all of design is like that, correct? Where you're this, you're constantly in friction, you're constantly finding solutions to problems and you're, you're willing to accept the other person's viewpoint. Hmm. So are you a minimalist or are you a hoarder? I am a shameless hoarder. <laughs> okay. Shameless. I think like I'm a I'm a I'm the maximalist of maximalism. Like literally, <laughs> like I love it. I love over the top. I started with one plant. I have over 100 now. I started with like 10 books. I have like some hundreds of books now. It it, it doesn't stop. I love it. I love surrounding myself with beautiful things. And for me the space you live in and the space you work in is very important as a creative mm-hmm. person. So, mm-hmm. uh, the way my studio is, my office was, my home is, I think they all have a direct relationship to how I live, how I see the world, how I work. And it's very important to have not just a beautiful, but a but an environment that both inspires you and calms you as a creative person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, when you're talking about spaces and especially Imagine. when you're talking about your private space um, and uh, you feel that's that has to be inspiring, um, I'm sure a lot of thought goes into, you know, getting that first purchase, right? When you talk about, let's say, the first flower or the first book. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about the first client that you ever had um, when you started off with your mm-hmm. company. Um, was it uh, mm-hmm. Was it in conjunction to what you were doing prior? Was it Was it a spillover effect? from your previous company that you were working at or you did get a word of mouth from a new client altogether? It was really funny because uh, there was another company I knew of uh, who I sort of reached out to when I started my own company and they were they were also two young girls much like me and they said, you know, we have a project in a wedding. Uh, do you want to come and meet him and show him what your thoughts are on the space? I went and met him. This was the bride's father in Delhi. He loved my work. We confirmed services. Um, but right when I was leaving out and after he'd paid my advance, um, he looked at me and said, you know, this is wrong. I was like, what do you mean by this is wrong? What is wrong? He's like, you know, you're too young to do this. So I looked at him, I was like, you know, I have a white hair. He's like, no, 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 you're too young to do this. And I was like, too bad. You just paid me. I'm out of here. I can't reason with this. But I think when I was starting out a lot of the conversation and I was about 25 back then. So a lot of conversation was, you're too young to do this. Can you manage this? Um, I also had a team only of women back then. And even, I mean, today largely we're a team of young girls and young people. So there was always that sort of father who looked, looked at us and said, will not just will you be able to do this uh but this feels incorrect at some level so many times people meet me and they're like we think you're a really old person and i'm just like i'm so sorry to disappoint you but i like Mm. being called young so this works for me (laughs) but i think that was my first sort of sort of and it is so it's so odd because when you get your first check uh for a project but it's met with like you're too young to do this it is quite a comical moment in my life Mm-hmm. And well, that was my first project and I had a, I had a lot of fun designing it. Uh, it was my only project for like, I think six months and all I did for six months was work on that project. Makes sense because it's your first, you oh, want to get it right. 
no and also i mean it's not like i had anything else to do and when it's your first i think you're so scared to do it also but i think what i learned from that part is that if you give your heart and soul to something the end product is always going to be good mhm so with the previous company were you doing like a similar role um i was a designer for my previous company but i think there was a lot of padding in my job uh, because the commercials were done by somebody else the production we had help to do uh, when you start out on your own you're you're a lot like a one man army so i had to learn Correct. a lot of things for example i had no clue how accounts were done or how contracts were made uh, so i think those are the things that i've had to learn over the first two years the other thing you end up having to learn is how to be how to manage other people um and for the first few years i was a terrible boss because i didn't know how to manage other people which is also something i've learned over the course of time and hopefully do a half decent job at today so when uh, a little while back you spoke about you know scaling down versus scaling up um then mm-hmm. that would mean lesser overheads that would mean lesser manpower uh, is there eventually like the idea that you want to become a solopreneur and not have any sort of uh, person reporting into you full time or you would want to have a full time team managing your work too I'd loved I don't think reducing the amount of work means reducing the amount of people you work with uh, it could possibly go up because the kind of weddings we do would be so detailed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think I never want to become a solo person again because I love working with other people I love their viewpoints in fact I think I'm better for it because uh today I love being able to give a viewpoint uh I love having people who argue with my viewpoint um and I don't think I ever want to let go of that and become a single sort of entrepreneur. Also when we think of our companies there is a sense of legacy of how long will this run and can some things run without you and my eventual goal is to have a company where I'm only essentially the design head and everything else there is someone to help me out with like there is today. Interesting. Very interesting. um a little while back you mentioned about uh, how the bride and the groom were in constant conversation with you about designing concepts and even in the some cases uh, budgetary conversations too uh, it's a radical shift right it's a paradigm shift where parents were involved in conversations mm-hmm. family members were involved in the first line of conversations and uh, the the couple was probably the last so sort of you know get a buy in on on or get a perspective on things and here it's completely flipped that's where you start the conversation with now i think a lot has changed because a lot of young people are paying for their own weddings they've seen a lot more of the world we all started working young uh, a lot of people are getting married slightly later uh, and i think they they have a lot more control over their lives and their weddings um, i remember i was getting a 21 year old groom married and i had never met his father till literally 10 days before his wedding and i was really nervous I was, so i looked at him while we were having a conversation on the budget and says would you like to have your dad here and i remember <laughs> him looking at me and saying you know if my dad expects me to run his company uh he he knows i'm entirely capable of uh, i mean deciding a wedding and i thought it made so much sense because i think we're a lot more confident as younger people today which is why we're so much more involved in our decision making and for a lot of kids they want to sort of give back to their parents by making sure they're able to create a wedding experience a wedding holiday for them to sort of enjoy themselves as well so with the covid coming in and and uh, you know the number of people attending a wedding has drastically reduced um what are the trends you've observed that has shaped over the couple of years recently or maybe uh, the ones that you foresee changing once hopefully the whole pandemic is sorted or the covid period is sorted i think 
the trends that we're seeing now are some that were growing in the last few years that COVID has sort of accelerated. Um, and I don't see this changing very early because I think how we live life is becoming a way of living. For example, work from home is a legitimate thing now. We thought we'd all go back to work after one year or two years, but we're not. The way we worked has changed. Similarly, I think weddings are going to possibly change forever. One of the first things is that weddings have become smaller. Uh, the number of guests have shrunk. Uh, typically before uh, 2020, people would have a destination wedding and come back and throw a grand reception. Now they're just content with the uh, destination wedding. The destination wedding is now becoming a huge family holiday where people want the two-day destination wedding is now a three-and-a-half-day holiday where family and friends sort of come together, chill together, celebrate together. And I don't see any of these things changing because the focus is a lot more on, on guests on building a beautiful experience for them and giving the best that money can offer or you as brides and grooms can offer uh, to your friends and family. I think this happened last year because while we were in the lockdown, we were so connected with our friends and family. And I think they've become such an important part of our lives all over again. So we just want to make sure that they have the best sort of time at their wedding. Um, the other thing is, I think there's going to be a lot more focus on Indian destinations, a lot more focus on things that are available in India because we've learned that your local sort of vegetable seller is far more important than any chain because he was there for you in your tough days. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more respect for things that are mindful. People want, there's a sense of wanting to give back, to recycle, to not waste. And I think these trends are going to stay. It's not going to change too fast because they're meaningful changes that have happened. It, it resonates a lot with the Gen Z's and the millennials, right? Because um, we want to contribute towards the earth. We want to make it a safer place, a more livable place. Correct. And how has sustainability as a, I mean, is it is it really applied in weddings? Because generally weddings are a lot about exuberance, about, you know, social status and understanding things like that. Um, while it may not be for everybody, a large part of is like that. Um, how is sustainability shaped up in weddings and what are some examples that you've done of or maybe that you can think of uh, really are like meaningful patterns to emulate for other people as well? I think one of the first things to understand is that sustain nobody today can have a 100% sustainable life. Uh, one flight that you take sort of evens out everything else you've done in your lifetime. Uh, but I think what is happening, which is a beautiful sort of trend, is there is a sense of reducing the amount of waste you have at a wedding. And and you can see it at all scales, whether it is saying no to plastic bottles. Because imagine if you have 200 guests over a course of three days, you've used up at least a thousand plastic bottles. That's thousand plastic bottles lesser in the ocean. Uh, or it is about sourcing locally and actually saving the fuel cost, the energy it takes to transport things. Uh, no, I mean, a lot of people are okay with working with local flowers, flowers that are grown in India, which are as beautiful as flowers that are grown everywhere else. So from an earlier sort of thought of let's import flowers from Holland and let's import flowers from here and there. The thought mm. is, I mean, a repeated question is, what can we get locally here? Uh, and that is as beautiful. So I think these are some of the mindful sort of changes that are happening. And I think it'll take a longer time to see uh, how it has a deeper impact. But I think at this point, just figuring out where things are coming from, making sure that you're sourcing uh, mindfully, thoughtfully, and making sure that you're recycling the waste at a wedding. You're making sure that your spare food is given away. The flexes you use can be recycled. The flowers are recycled. I think just, just that is is adequate, meaningful conversation to have for now. 
you know one of the things that uh, i often think about is uh, clothes that you wear at a wedding right i think um mm-hmm. they are such a large expense and this is not just the bride and the groom right the entire family is getting newer pieces of clothes for them um one of the mm-hmm. friends weddings or friends friends wedding i can't recollect exactly the detail of it though but um, the groom was wearing her grandmother's outfit and a uh, grandmother's mother's outfit for her uh, wedding and that was beautiful because she did not want to unnecessarily spend and b i think she found it to be uh, more of cultural value to be wearing things that were already associated with the lineage in the family speaks Correct. about sustainability my mom's i wore my mom's lehenga for my wedding uh, and i wore jewelry which was five generations old and of course there is a uh, there's a sentimental angle to it but even for brides that are buying new outfits today you'll notice that all designers um, when you walk into designer showroom will tell you how to restyle your lehenga so that you can wear it more often uh, my own wedding lehenga i've worn uh, the one i got for my sangeet at least six times since i got married and my friends have borrowed it and worn it so i think there's a tremendous mm-hmm. sort of pre-loved movement all designers will tell you how to style your lehenga so you can wear it in different ways which just like the top or which is the dupatta or which is the bottom so i think there's a lot of change happening there as well uh, even when it comes to jewelry even when it comes to clothes for families for brides and grooms there is a huge sort of movement on how to recycle how to reuse all of your wedding clothes um, there are so many companies today hardik that where you can loan your wedding clothes for other yep. people to wear Yep. Yeah, this so pre-loved movement, and I think it's incredible because that's how we grew up. When someone was getting married, we'd borrow jewelry and wear it. Uh, we'd wear our cousin's clothes, we'd recycle and mix and match and wear things. And I think it's it's very cool for that trend to sort of be coming back. You know, I completely agree because I think even when I host events and uh, we are required to wear outfits and fancy outfits at every single event, every single show that we host, um, you know, I've I've tried to be very conscious. in the at least more so in the last couple of years about it's okay to repeat my outfits it's absolutely okay absolutely. i mean it doesn't matter at the end of the day i'm there to deliver a kickass performance obviously not compromising on my outfit but there has to be a certain way in which i have to manage my my cupboard yeah there is there is only enough space that i can put in like 20 30 clothes i cannot have 50 clothes in there um and and after a point of time they will be torn they will have a have a shelf life how much will i be disposing of how much will i be discarding outfits correct and i think it makes so much sense because like you said it's about a performance and output to what you're wearing and there's such a strong movement of i think it's looked down upon and thought foolish when someone doesn't repeat their clothes anymore because i mean it's such a waste and the fact that we are recognizing it to me is a very big step in itself the fact that you're saying that you are thinking of these things is big because the public sentiment is changing makes sense for sure and i think people are becoming a lot more conscious devika about agreed, their agreed. choices about the way they live about what are they consuming what are the carbon footprint and things like that and i think that goes a really long way while i completely agree with you that one flight may sort of completely eliminate and Correct. nullify your footprint but i think being conscious about how you are living your life on this planet and then if possibly you can be a positive contributor that's fantastic if not at of least no, don't be a net negative contributor and also your thoughts is what will eventually change your actions the fact that all of us are thinking these things are are influencing our actions and to me every small step matters in individual lives if you are thinking about i don't know your clothes and thinking about plastic bottles every like micro step is a step to something much more elaborate 
at the end of it. So I think all of our, those are valuable steps and you can't look down and say this is not enough. I think everything that everybody can do at an individual level is enough. Oh, for sure. You know, weddings are always places which are running really have an emotions, right? Um, also, a lot of egos are in place as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, you know, what are some of the most absurd requests you've come across? God, in hindsight, I can't remember a single one always because like your brain's trained to remember only the good stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've ended up being counselors for family. We've been uh, the third daughter in a relationship because... Uh, the bride saying, you tell my mom this, the mom's calling me and saying the bride's, I mean, she, you explain this to her. So I think we've all played those roles at different points of time. And I think it's really special because you end up becoming, you end up feeling like a part of the family when these things happen. Uh, you're mm-hmm. almost like you have like a little, like multiple families for a few months. And I think it's it's really valuable because I think some of those relationships last forever, depending on how you sort of navigate through them. Uh to me, that is the most exciting part of a wedding is just that I get to be friends with people. I find new cousins, new sisters, new friends at every wedding we design. And how many mothers? For sure. One of my friends actually mentioned about uh, one crazy thing, which still, you know, boggles me. Um, uh, for the couple, uh, the dogs were extremely special and they were doing a destination wedding. Um, the couple mm-hmm. wanted to fly down their dogs in a charter flight uh, and get them to the venue uh, for three, four days or whatever and give them uber luxury treatment. I mean, that was one, I understand extremely emotional and dogs are life, no doubt about that. But that's quite a, quite that's a, a regular request. day for me, Hardik. Achha. So then that's please tell me more then. That's a regular day for me, Hardik. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, like those things are, it's completely normal to have your dogs, your like friends, family, staff, that one auntie who has to be taken somewhere because she likes something specific. Um, I think one of the cutest things is a couple at a wedding actually asked us for separate rooms or connecting rooms because the husband snores too much and the wife can't sleep. So we said we wanted connecting rooms so we don't want to be in the same room. So I think those are just some of the fun requests we've had. We've also had to deal with bizarre things like cyclones, like when you was getting flooded out 24 hours before, mm. a, before a wedding, uh, the kitchen catching fire when the barat is walking in. That's what I'm saying. In hindsight, all of these feel like completely normal things to happen to us and we've sort no. of uh, trained ourselves to not to like deal with them calmly yeah for sure i think i think uh, while we are obviously part event managers and part designers we are also like disaster managers as well at some point in formanship Oh, not in some part in form and shape. Foremost, we're disaster managers. It's it's firefighting. Once you get to a wedding, even you will know it. At some level, you're firefighting. Oh, I did and once you yeah. get to like, yeah, so I think it's, it's the same for all of us. We're all firefighting, um, which is why uh, event managers or anybody in the event space has a, such a high rating in stressful jobs right after doctors and firefighters, actually. And frontline workers, we're, we're on that top 10 list because... We are firefighting. We have fixed deadlines. We have emotions running high. Anything can go wrong. Every project is drastically different. So I think you sort of learn how to deal with situations calmly. Yeah, it's just one of the skills you nerves. need to be in this industry. Yeah, yeah, managing your nerves. I think that's 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 probably one of the key things that I realized. Uh, you know, while I was I've been on stage, is that uh, whatever the situation be, always be smiling and the show must go on. Correct. How many times have you been on a stage and the mic's gone off or the lights gone off? It's just oh like part God. of your daily Countless. life, right? I'm yeah. sure. Correct. Yeah. So, and, and you have to navigate the situation then because you can't break a party. You still have to keep it. So I think you have to sort of think on your feet and see what you can do. Now, what kind of projects do you say no to Devika? 
projects that are on the same dates as another project and projects that are not uh, are asking for things that we can't do for example i can't do 5000 or like 10000 guest weddings or i can't do a big stage i don't i mean i'm not good at doing weddings that are uh, which are showy and over the top like i wouldn't build a set in a beautiful palace in udaipur because i mean the palace is there which is beautiful to me on its own mm-hmm. so i think things that don't align to my values are what i typically say no to only because i rather recommend somebody who's good at it versus me trying to do a half ass job at it uh, and the second kind of projects we say no to are projects that are on an overlapping date as us and i'm sure these are dates that are decided far prior uh, and and that's where they come into you yes hmm hmm now what are uh, what's like according to you because you and uh, obviously joseph talk a lot about um the weddings and and that's where uh, you obviously have uh, friction and obviously a lot of similarities in thoughts what according to you constitutes a perfect wedding one where the bride and groom have a lot of fun and the families have a lot of fun that's literally it i think if the families don't have fun everything else falls flat you can have you can be in the most beautiful palace you can have the best food you can have uh beyonce performing for you but if you're not having fun your wedding is not going to be fun it's not going to be perfect so i think that's i think the one most critical thing at a wedding is to make sure that you have the time and you've built an ecosystem where you and your friends and family and your parents can have fun and let your hair down and are not caught up in like makeup and outfits and and so overwhelmed that you can't remember it in fact one of the most fun things i do is i always call up brides and grooms after the wedding and ask them what they remember of their weddings because mm-hmm. i think that is the most important thing and i have some lovely memories from my own wedding which is why i think it's very important that people truly enjoy everything they've done because at the end of the day they've done it for themselves and it's really tragic that most brides and grooms don't take the time to enjoy it don't take the time to eat the food that they've been planning for days or appreciate the flowers they've got or or let their hair down and dance on the dance floor or have ended up getting hair and makeup done for 3 hours that they only spend about 40 minutes at the event and don't have time to chill or dance or meet their own friends and families so i think all of those things are things that that sort of like stop you from having your perfect wedding and i think you yourself have been a prime example of this i believe uh, in your own wedding i read that uh, you wanted to ensure that you were the two people who definitely wanted to enjoy your wedding and uh, keep things yeah. simple and easy absolutely we were the first people to eat at every function <laughs> okay because i was like you know we've got really good food we want to eat our own food uh, and we made sure everybody ate and we ate and we i made sure my lehenga was light so i danced I, there was no it was a very no fuss wedding because we wanted to make sure that we had the time of our lives and because we enjoyed i think our friends and family enjoyed because we were so chill uh and which is why we have such great memories of our wedding so i think that's like one of the more critical things to think of when you're thinking of a wedding i think it's one of the things that people don't think about enough is are we going to enjoy this or are we just filling our wedding with things that we only don't like makes sense makes a lot of sense so yeah. while yeah. you are a creative entrepreneur and creative entrepreneur would uh, make up two words the creative part of the work which you anyways have um explained so well the entrepreneur side the business side of things i'm curious to know um how did you and what are the what are the what are the advice that you've built up along the way for yourself and for others uh, of running a creative business a creative pursuit 
I think as creative people, we've all become business owners by default. We never planned it. It's just that life took us in a way where we became business owners, entrepreneurs. So I think it's a very important to figure out the business portion of it. If you think you're not good at it, hire someone to help you through it. Because that's how I see most creative businesses fail. Because they're not able to ha- handle the business portion of things. Um, figure out your taxes, figure out economics. If you're not good at maths, make sure you have a second who is good at math. Um, build a client service system, build processes for yourself, which let you enjoy the work that you do. Because so often as creative entrepreneurs, you're so busy taking care of the business portion of things that you lose connection with the creative portion of things. So if you're not good at the business portion of things, get someone to help you out with it and don't be scared for asking for help and don't be afraid of educating yourself. I learned how to do taxes. I truly today enjoy the business portion of it. I love closing a client. I love doing, I mean, I don't say I love doing accounts so much, but I like the managing and the logistical portions of it as much as I enjoy designing a wedding. Uh, and I have built a business team around me. In fact, one of the first few people I hired were to deal with clients and to answer phone calls because I was so busy on site and doing all the design portions of it. I didn't have the time to answer their phone calls and I was actively losing work because of it because I was just unavailable. So I think it's very important to understand what you're not good at and take help and hire somebody who is good at you uh, on the things that you are not okay doing or you are uncomfortable doing. Um, and I think that is the most rewarding thing you can do. And I think secondly is, is don't be afraid to hire people, hire people who are better than you, hire people you like, build a team around you because they are going to save your bum on a tough day. I think that that actually makes a lot of sense primarily because uh, there are times when you get so carried away on the creative side of things and you really do not take care of the business side and which eventually either leads to burnout or not sustainable business or not growth opportunities as well. Um, one thing that I must ask you, because we're talking about weddings, is that what is your advice for the to-be bride and grooms? Exactly what I said goes into making a perfect wedding. Make sure you let go before your wedding. Um, I'm all for you being completely obsessed with every tiny detail. But closer to your wedding, make sure you hand over to people you can trust, whether it's your friends and families, whether it's professionals, so that you can enjoy your wedding. Because if you're not enjoying your wedding, no one else is going to enjoy the wedding. If you're sitting there grumpy or if you're running around coordinating things, then the rest of the guests won't enjoy the wedding. So make sure you take out the time to hand over, plan everything but hand over and truly take a moment and enjoy what is one of the best days of your life. Lovely. On that note, Devika, thank you so much. It's been such a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much, Hartik. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, please make sure you subscribe to EPLog Media and all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, among many others, for upcoming episodes. You know, I love listening from each one of you. So please make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family and your colleagues. And please make sure to drop a comment on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And also, if you're listening on EPLog Media, they've recently launched a feature where you can comment on the particular episode too. Your support is my fuel. You can connect with me on Instagram at the rate Hardik or on LinkedIn too. Catch you on the other episode.